The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead the Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Hi, I'm Linda Sharkey. I'm the host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and thanks for joining me today. Um, with that, I wanted to jump in and talk about a subject that has been near and dear to my heart, and that is organizational culture. And of late, the whole issue of organizational culture has been coming to very much the forefront in the popular literature. In fact, Burson and Associates just did a, a whole study saying that leadership and culture were the two biggest issues on the minds of organizational leaders. And do they have the kinds of cultures that can drive the right kind of organizational results? And if you read the Wall Street Journal or any of the other business magazines, you'll see that very often the subject of culture comes up, particularly around mergers and acquisitions, where someone will say, uh, you know, if the cultures can mesh of these two companies, that will be a win. But often they say things like, uh, you know, they're totally contradictory cultures and it's going to be very difficult to get the kinds of synergies that you need out of this acquisition because of that. And I found in my own experience, I've done a lot of merger and acquisition work at GE and, and uh, at Hewlett Packard and other companies that I've worked with um, over the years, and I found that when culture is ignored, and we did a huge study on this, when culture is ignored, the ability of the pro forma of the acquisition to come to fruition, so to speak, fails. And it is always for two reasons, because the right leaders were not in place and the culture was not attended to. And I've seen so many situations where people go in and say, oh, let's do focus groups around the culture. Let's have, let's have people talk about what the culture's like and what it feels like to work here. And then we'll come up with lists and all this kind of thing. No science behind it at all. And actually, we did an acquisition at, at HP, which has long been gone at this point, and did one of those kind of focus group culture assessments. And it turned out that we weren't on target at all because we had no data and no facts behind it. And at the end of the day, the acquisition completely failed. Now, we did use data and information uh, and fact-based assessments around the compact NHP merger. 
And if you look back over time, that was one of the smoothest acquisitions, and it was a huge acquisition. And largely because both companies paid a great deal of attention to the culture. So as I think about that, and I think about myself, some 15 years ago or so, when I was getting my PhD, I ran into a a subject of organizational culture. And I just learned about that and got so intrigued. And I also learned about an instrument called the Organization Culture Inventory. And I used that, frankly, as part of my dissertation. And I used it in a very toxic organization that was struggling to maintain its talent, had a turnover rate of 33%. Think about it. If you have a turnover rate of 33%, what are you spending your time on? Putting butts in seats. And I used that survey, and it was so powerful. And then over time, I did a longitudinal study to see if learning and development structured training programs, in fact, would really change the culture. And sadly, what I found was, no, they don't. And what really changes the culture is alignment of leader behavior. It was a good lesson to learn because I've carried it forward in my career. And that's how I arrived at Dr. Robert Cook, my guest tonight today. Rob Cook and I have had a great professional relationship over the years studying culture. And Rob is really, I would say, a pioneer in this field. He is the best behavioral science or one of the best behavioral scientists in the world. He's the author of the Organizational Culture Inventory and Related World-Class Instruments. Uh, he, he and I, along with uh, Nazneen Razi and Peter Barge, co-authored a recent book called Transglobal Leadership, where we used some of Rob's global research to define the five leadership dimensions essential to build global mindsets in leaders. Rob is now the CEO and uh, International Director of Human Synergistics, the company that uh, does the organization culture inventory and really has what, what I would have to say are world-class instruments. And with that, I'm going to introduce Dr. Cook. I'm so glad to have you here, Rob. It's just exciting to talk about a subject that's near and dear to both of our hearts. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you for that great introduction. Great to be here. Well, Rob, I probably wouldn't have a PhD today if it wasn't for um, <laughs> the, the survey uh, instrument that, that you had and some of the other coaching and mentoring that, that you gave me personally as I, was, as I was going through what you know is a fairly rigorous process. Well, so I'm, I thank I'm you so for glad that. you have that PhD, Linda. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, great things with it. Love to see it happen. Yeah, well, it was really it was really great. So, I wanted to start out with, you know, you were a pioneer in this field and you were talking about culture way before anyone else was talking about culture. And how did you get to that sort of culture as being sort of that underpinning of healthy organizations? What what drove you to to that conclusion and to do the research that you did? It was really my work with the lifestyles inventory, Linda, the mm. uh, Self-development, personal development uh, inventory. I was working on with Clay Lafferty, who wrote it a number of years, uh, a number of years ago, early 1970s. You know, in working with that instrument and looking at data very carefully, quantitatively, to make a long story short, I came up with the very 
unexpected finding that organizations were rewarding managers with aggressive and dysfunctional styles within certain organizations. And, you know, it, it just seemed that things were backward. Managers with constructive, positive styles really were not necessarily being promoted, given pay raises, etc. Started doing work, thinking about organizational reward systems, but really in getting into it, I thought back to some of my readings from 1960s and 1970s by Edward T. Hall, people like William White. They were talking about informal cultures and organizations, and I, I just started thinking, you know what, really what we have here is a cultural problem, and I have to figure out a way to measure it and a tool to enable organizations to change their cultures. Yeah, and, and that tool is widely used around the world. I mean, you and I were just in Budapest and Bucharest together doing some uh, programs around how that relates to talent and the connection between talent and leadership, etc. And what we discovered and what you talked about, I, I'd like you to illuminate on this, is the whole idea that uh, the connection between country culture and company culture and that company culture often... Uh, is is stronger uh, around the world. Uh, the, the values are kind of stronger. Can you uh, illuminate on that a little, Rob? It really is something. If you look at, uh, for example, the societal values that Gert Hofstadt has studied and compare them to what we look at in the organizational culture inventory, there is a very, very interesting relationship. Uh, you know, just to recap, in, in terms of organizational culture, we look at uh, constructive cultures with achievement and humanistic norms. We look at passive cultures, dependent, avoidant norms. We look at aggressive cultures with competitive and power-oriented norms. And what we have found is that uh, with some societal cultures, high collectivism, high power distance, high uncertainty avoidance, organizations within those countries respond with quite passive and aggressive cultures. On the other hand, we have found that across the world, organizations and their members prefer constructive cultures, and that is a big plus because constructive cultures are related to effectiveness. So where that takes me is, and I've said this many times in places where I speak, as you know, is that, you know, no matter what part of the world you're in, people want the same things out of for their in in their they have the same dreams for the, the the jobs that they have and the way they want to live and experience life in their families right they they really do they they want a constructive culture a constructive environment and so they operate you, more effectively within those cultures yeah that that's a great point and one of the things I love about your survey, it is statistically valid, and you regularly uh, norm it to make sure that it stays statistically valid. Um, can you talk a little bit about those constructive styles? The, the constructive styles are both task and people-oriented. In organizations, they represent um, a really good balance between emphasizing the importance of the organization and the importance of the individual member. 
Specific norms include expectations for achievement-oriented behaviors, like setting goals, self-actualizing behaviors, like maintaining integrity, being creative, concerned with one's growth, humanistic expectations, providing people with positive rewards, helping others, and affiliative norms, cooperating, being reasonably friendly, approachable. Those norms, when translated into behaviors, really seem to work in almost every country. They bring about engagement, they bring about performance, and they help the organization attain sustainability. The problem is that those norms are often weaker than leaders and members prefer them to be, and there is a gap between the current culture of the organization and the ideal culture. Yeah, and that is so interesting. And when you talked earlier about, you know, companies rewarding what I call toxic leaders, yeah. I mean, I've personally lived through that experience. I've, I've personally done a study at, at, at some companies where you look at, you know, who are the people that are getting rewarded in the performance reviews, and they are people that are more uh, aggressive task-oriented, will um, drive people for long, hard hours for, you know, very little gain at the end of the day, and people really burn out. Um, and I'm, it's so curious to me that that is more the norm than the constructive styles, and everybody will articulate that where they want to be is the constructive place. The, you know, the aggressive styles really give the appearance of performance, the appearance of success and effectiveness. Uh, you know, they, they, they seem task-oriented, which they are, but they, they truly can be counterproductive over the long term. And, you know, you get in these situations where organizations need short-term results, they, they feel they need to look good, and they, they more or less take shortcuts. And yeah. then, uh, those aggressive cultures stick. Yeah, we're we're coming up about one minute before break, but you know what I think was so powerful about what you just said is that they take shortcuts, and as we look at some ethical breaches that go on in organizations, it's not because people are bad; it's because they're under so much pressure to deliver. They take shortcuts. Have you seen that? Can you say more about that, Rob? Yes, I I, I really feel some of the problems we ran into with banks. Yeah, because of the cultures. Um, taking shortcuts to um, increasing earnings, profitability very quickly. Yeah. And as I look at some of the places like MCI and um, uh, some of those other organizations, Enron a Enron. while ago, yep. but, but certainly there was unethical behavior by people that presumably um, would want to believe that they were ethical, right? Yep, the aggressive styles promote certain unethical behaviors, and the passive styles sort of encourage people to go along with them. And you you get that, you get those transgressions as a result. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. So we're coming up on break in about uh, thirty seconds. So tell me just a little bit, and then we'll 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 carry this on in our next segment. You made a very strong uh, connection between leadership and what leaders do, and the organizational culture. Can you, can you elaborate on that connection a little bit, Rob? You know, leadership has been measured in so many different ways. And it's just so interesting. When I was looking at it back in the 1990s, 
that we really weren't paying enough attention to the impact of leaders on the people around them. I mean, after all, leaders are effective because of what the people around them do, not just because of what they themselves do. And I I just decided what we needed was a leadership survey that focused really not only on leader behaviors, but on the behaviors leader encourage and reinforce on the part of the people around them. In other words, the culture that leaders create. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on break, so stay with us. I'm talking to Dr. Rob Cook, CEO of Human Synergistics, and we're talking about the Leadership Culture Connection, and uh, we're going to be talking about what are some of the things that you can do about that. Stay with us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. As your business grows, are you growing with it? Do you have the right balance of time, attention, work, and personal life? Take the growing pains out of growth and tune into The Business Edge with Marsha Zeidel. If you are spending most of your energy managing problems rather than focusing on taking your business to the next level, our program will give you the steps you need to make sure you have everything in place for forward-thinking business leadership. The Business Edge is heard every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to one 866 Four seven two five seven nine zero. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag #ILeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now back to I Lead the Leadership Connection. Hi, welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey. I'm your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection. And with me today is Dr. Rob Cook, CEO of Human Synergistics, author of the Organizational Culture Inventory and numerous related instruments. Um, Rob, 
and I were talking about the connection between what leaders do and how it impacts others and creates the kind of culture that that companies and people within the companies experience. So, Rob, can you elaborate a little bit more? I, I, I have used that leadership impact survey. I, I used it all around GE, as you well know, all around the world. And it is such a powerful insight, much more so than a 360. And I used it as a 360, but much more so than a competency-based 360. It really gives leaders that that deep insight into what they're doing every day that and and how it's driving behaviors in others and so so tell tell me how you got there and how people use it thank you linda i i i really wanted to have a leadership survey that was distinct from the so many other surveys available and that would complement and reinforce cultural change in organizations so interesting. If you look at you know organizational change, it's often disconnected from leadership development. And you know my, my thinking is that if you're going to have cultural change, you've got you've got to reinforce it across levels: organizational, team, leaders, individual members. So you know I, I basically turned everything around, and instead of asking people to describe the behavior of the leader. I asked them to describe, well, what's the impact of the leader on your behavior? And, you know, I I found so many interesting things with that. I found that um, leaders reacted to the feedback in a much more interested and less defensive way. So, in other words, if if a negative profile came back, and one that showed, you know, all this defensiveness with passive and aggressive behaviors, really they understood that, this wasn't their behavior, but rather this was the impact they were having on the behavior of the people around them. And generally, they became concerned about that and became very interested in making changes that would create a better impact and therefore a better culture within their organization. Uh, it, it really, It really has been an interesting journey with Leadership Impact. We've expanded it. Um, with Janet Zumal into management impact, where we can now take a level down in the organization. And we're finding all interesting kinds of things that we can help leaders, managers with. And that is that, for example, leaders have an impact on managers, and that in turn has an impact on what, you know, what kind of culture they want to create and, in fact, the actual culture they do create. And what we see in certain organizations is that things sort of get more and more defensive, in a certain sense, worse as you work your way down the hierarchy. It sure and does. We can turn that around. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story about that. Um, you know, as you know, I've, I use the instruments quite frequently, and I have a company that really wanted to transform their culture. And we've used the, you know, the OCI originally to really discuss. But what I love about that leadership impact, uh, both the tools, is you ask the leader first, what is the ideal impact that you want to have? And as you know, it always comes out to be relatively constructive. Right. And then when they see the impact that they really are having, it's such a wake-up call to them that, you know, there is 
really a need for that change. And in this one organization, I'm going back there in a, in a week or so, we've been working on this for about a two-year period, and you really see the group having come from being a group to really gelling around a set of leadership norms and behaviors that they really want to want to operate their company with. And, and they've become very successful, actually. So what 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 have you seen where people use these this 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 approach when they take it seriously and they work together the way you were just describing Linda they they truly can affect change you know we give them these these tools in other words um, um, ideas regarding how to manage how to lead in a prescriptive manner as opposed to a restrictive way. And the more they get into that, carrying out their day-to-day leadership and managerial activities, the more individually and as a group they can create and reinforce and even sustain a more constructive impact and culture. Uh, there, there does seem to be a snowball effect in many organizations. One of our really great consultants in Australia, Peter Fuda, describes the, the snowball effect as you start with leadership impact at the top and it starts gathering speed and becoming uh, into management impact and affecting the entire organization. Yeah, and I've seen that snowball effect and it's really very powerful. It's just, just as an aggressive culture can snowball through the organization, so can a constructive culture if the leaders take it seriously and really get engaged around it. Um, Rob, what have you seen? Um, oh, I did want to say this. I wanted to reinforce this point. There's another thing that I absolutely love about the tool is because you do provide strategies in the survey results that help people understand, okay, do more of this, do less of this, if you want to move your group to a more constructive place. And so people really walk out with a very clear and very specific action plan around which I do a lot of coaching, and I, I know you do too. And that, if they take it seriously, can really drive things forward. And we, we try not only to tell them what their impact is, but also what they can do to constructively redirect it Yep. And for, you know, for coaches, that can really make a difference. It really does. It makes a difference in my practice. In fact, uh, you know, we're, we're working with this other group, and, and uh, they've, just, they've just completed the survey, and we'll be going through it with, um, with their leadership team. It's just so much more powerful than a competency-based 360. Because at the end of the day, you know, your behavior is a reflection of who you are and your values, right? Wouldn't you say? Is. It truly yeah. is. And, and most, go ahead. And it's so ironic that so many of the leaders find themselves in a situation where they are having an impact on the behavior of others that, as we said before, they really don't want. You know, it's simply not consistent with their ideal and their values. So, it's, again, it's a tool that um, provides feedback that's accepted somewhat less defensively and um, more effectively than, than with um, regular 360s. Yeah, and so I want to bring us to um, the book that we all wrote together, you, me, Nazneen, and, um, and Peter. And, you know, we got together because what we were seeing 
is that there were some leaders in a global... We, first of all, nobody has cracked the code on what it takes to really lead effectively in a global environment. And Nazneen and I, as you know, uh, hired global leaders all around the world. And we would see some people that really drove these constructive cultures and really uh, created inspiration and aspiration for their people and had great following. And then there were others that just flamed out. Um, And we were trying to figure out what was the secret sauce so we all got together, and, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about how we did that research, because it was very powerful, and we came up with those five leadership dimensions, which I think today, uh, well, the book isn't that old, but uh, like 18 months, but uh, it holds true even more so today and going forward. We, you know, we continue to get great feedback on, on the book, on the dimensions, and on our Transglobal Leadership Survey. And I, I know you've been doing a great, great job with the survey and with the feedback and your simulation with some really big companies. And I hope to, I hope to start a little project myself later, um, later in April. But uh, you know, we we did the book and we did the we did the survey and the project. In my opinion, the way it should be done. We not only use qualitative methods with interviews, observations, looking at case studies, the ones that you and Avneen and Peter carried out. We then started writing a survey on the basis of what we were learning, trying to measure those behaviors, those approaches that characterized the very effective transglobal leaders that were in our interview sample. We tested out the survey. We learned something about it. We learned the extent to which the different behaviors either truly were or were not related to effectiveness in those roles. And then we revised the survey again to test it further, started writing the book around not only the interview results, but also the statistical analyses. And I really do believe we came, we came up with something meaningful and something that, you know, people read over, they, they read over the feedback report, and, you know, their, their reaction is, this has a lot of face validity. It yes. seems real, and it's great to see that your statistics more or less substantiate that these five dimensions truly are related to performance in those very difficult roles. Absolutely. And you know what? I, I, it was so, because there are five things, and very simple things. You know, um, perceptive responsiveness, you know, talent orientation, you know, team connectivity, which is not about being a great, you know, team builder. It's about connecting people around the world and, and really uh, being able to interact well with others. And the one that we, we, we really paused over was this um, pragmatic flexibility, Right. <laughs> and, 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 you know, as I thought more about it, the really great global leaders were not the people, I mean, they were very clear on their values, but they were able to really peel back their bias. And, you know, that's such a big word these days because we're beginning, fortunately, we're putting the elephant on the table and we're, we're talking more about people's bias and we all have bias. Yeah. Some of it gets in the way and some of it is helpful. But as you're going around the world and if you can only see the world from your own worldview and your own bias and not stretch that to see it from 
other people's worldview, you're never going to be successful in a global environment. Right, Rob? I mean, say, say help us with that one. This, this, was, this was somewhat of an unexpected finding. Yeah. And really, we probably spent more time trying to write about this and explain this than maybe any other part of the book. But, you know, what it came down to was, yes, on the one hand, we, we, do, we do feel it's critical that leaders have very high integrity, uh, you know, that, um, that they have strong values and recognize those values. But at the same time, they, they, they truly need to be open to and understanding of the values of others, especially when the values seem to be in conflict and it, it, it turns out to be, you know, a sign of respect, a sign of um, subordinate problem-solving capabilities, a, a sign of tolerance, a sign of integration and inclusion. When leaders are viewed as being somewhat flexible along these dimensions that are very difficult to be flexible around without losing their integrity. Yeah. It's a complicated one, but... I think it's very, very important. You know, it is becoming, and, and you know, we're seeing it even in our own country uh, with the whole conversation around bias relative to women and why women haven't gotten ahead because we do have an inherent bias, whether we, whether we like to believe that or not. Uh, you know, bias in terms of people who are different. Um, and we need to really get a grip on that so that we can really understand and respect other people. And... If you're, and you and I, when we talked about this, used the word dogmatic. You know, yeah. if you're really dogmatic and you cannot flex to how other people may approach things, you're going to struggle in a global world. Yeah, you really are. And, you know, there, there's, there's a price to that rigidity and that dogmatism. You, you, you simply lose the, the input and, and the value and the capabilities and the information of people who are seeing things. And, very different, but potentially very complementary ways. So, you know, this, this apparently is a critical dimension for effective transglobal leadership. Yeah, and, you know, in the simulation that uh, we put together, that I, by use of the number, as you know, um, very big companies that are trying to drive global um, relationships, yes. that that really gets at that. You know, where, where people begin to see that you need the connection of these five dimensions. Um, but w- just having one is not enough. And they really begin to see how, what is so interesting about the simulation is people start off and they say, oh, it's easy to come to agreement. I flew into, I'm making this up, but I flew into Germany and we had our conversation and everybody agreed. Well, you know, as the meetings continue to go on, they begin to find out that, as you peel back the onion, people are not seeing things the same way, <laughs> and and you know, and all of a sudden those agreements start to begin to unravel. So it's it's a fascinating experience. It, it really is. It really is. And 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 also, I, I've got to add that um, these dimensions, and not only pragmatic flexibility, but also uh, you know the team orientation and uncertainty resilience, all have. A connection to the culture that yes. the transglobal leaders built, and this this puts our transglobal leadership survey in in a position where it sort of goes beyond leadership impact. Yes, and, and really, really is very important for those 
who are preparing to move from regular leadership roles to more global, more international leadership roles. Yeah. And you know what what is so powerful about this survey and what people love about it is that it is uh, connected to their personal and organizational effectiveness. It, I mean, we, we have demonstrated that if you do this, you are, if those leaders that scored high on that survey were more effective and built better organizations over the long run. And, exactly. and, that, exactly. and, and why, else do you, why else do you do these things except to have really good organizations and good organization leaders? The, the, the thing that I also like uh, is that I get asked, and you probably do too, why are these traits, aren't these dimensions that really every leader needs? And, you know, the answer I always give is I believe it is. Uh, however... Somebody can be an effective leader and a good leader in their own country, which we call the local leader, but in a global setting, they must have these five dimensions. Have, have you run across that, Rob? Yeah, you know, I, I have, Linda, and you know, one of my thoughts on that and needs further testing, but I think if a leader is in a country that's very homogenous, there's not much diversity, um, maybe the five dimensions we're talking about are not quite so important, but in so many countries, including the United States, where you know we've got so much diversity, I mean, these these really can come into play. Yes, because one can have an organization right here in the U.S. that is it's almost as diverse as a global organization. It's so interesting that you say that because I was doing a, a session on this for a, a big international uh, one of my the big international companies. And the woman came up to me after she said, I moved from Detroit down to Tennessee. And she said, I could have used this just going from Detroit to Tennessee because it is a completely different animal in a completely different environment. And the things that people down do in Tennessee are like totally different from what people will do in Detroit. So it's a, it's a great point to make. Great observation. Yep. Yeah, it is a great observation. I I, uh, I I just I think it's just going to be extremely uh, it's an extremely powerful tool. So so tell me, go ahead. You go ahead. Tell me, Rob. Um, this is always a question I wanted to ask you, and I I, I guess I I never have, but I'm going to ask you now. You you were really a, a renowned academic. I mean, you did time in a fellowship at Stanford University, and and uh, you know a leading thinker in behavioral science still still are, and do a lot of academic publishing, etc. But what was it like for you to move from an academic research based situation to now being a CEO of a really global organization that uh, has affiliates all around the world, consultants all around the world. Uh, what, what, what was it like and what did you learn about yourself as a result of that? Well, it, it is different. <laughs> it is different. Uh, you know, I, I loved and actually still love the, um, the academic environment uh, one of my favorite things is, is teaching. I've always enjoyed teaching. I did it for decades. I, and I also enjoyed the research. Um, what, what bothered me, though, a little bit was that I worked so hard on these surveys and these research projects. And, you know, you would publish the results, but 
they didn't seem to have too much of an impact afterwards. And what I found was, you know, doing both, initially being both a professor and having an organization in the area of organizational measurement and change, um, you know, one, one could have a, a much greater effect. I mean, when I was writing the organizational culture inventory, I'll never forget, I, I, I thought to myself, I wonder if anyone will ever take this survey and actually answer it. <laughs> and now, you know, a couple million respondents later and 35 translations into other languages, um, all I can say to everyone is thank you. you know, thanks for taking the survey seriously. I hope I provided you with feedback that really um, made the experience worthwhile. And, you know, to make that happen, one really needs an organization. And I've um, just been gifted with um, great people, really not only here in the United States, but throughout the world and many other countries who are part of human synergistics. And the, the role really is quite different. Um, um, you really can't can compare running an organization to running a classroom. But uh, at the same time, there are, there are some similarities. And if you do things well, well, you help to create a good culture and things run smoothly. If you do, do things not so well, the culture is not so good. Right. <laughs> so, there are similarities, but there are great differences. Yeah, uh, th- th- there there are there there really are. I I um, I, you know, I'm a big um believer in putting fact into human resource uh, and organizational development strategies and approaches. And honestly, I sort of have dedicated my own passion and purpose in life into bringing that into um, the field. And that was really one of the things that appealed to me about your uh, surveys, because there are a lot of people that say they have cultural measures and they can really uh, tell you what's really going on in your culture. And I don't honestly think that's true from the research that, in fact, I know it's not true. Uh, I see your survey as being really a fact-based measure of culture. And so many of the others that I see out there are really measures of employee engagement or outcomes or end results. Do you have a perspective on that, Rob? Uh, well, I'm sure you have a perspective on that, I, I actually. Do. <laughs> I do, and I don't want to say anything negative about Oh, I know. I, I'm surveys, saying it. But, you know, we, we have been very, very careful to measure what we're now calling real culture. And it's, it's not everything that goes on in an organization. It's not engagement. It's not involvement. It's not, you know, cooperation. It's... Culture is, 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 is really shared values that can lead to norms and expectations, you know, that guide the way people approach their work and interact with one another. And it took, it, it took quite a while to write the culture inventory in a way that it truly did measure shared norms and expectations. And you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's a little bit frustrating because we go out and we talk with clients and they say, oh, this is really an interesting survey, but it doesn't measure engagement and it doesn't measure, you know, customer service quality or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And 
we, you know, we, we want them to know that that is intentional. Now, we have other surveys, of course, that yeah. measure yeah. those kinds of things. We're coming up on break, Rob, so let's, we're, we'll continue this conversation in, in about two minutes. Stay yeah. with me. We'll I'm Linda right. Sharkey. And with me is Rob Cook. And when we come back after break, we're going to talk about why cultural change efforts don't work. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time for our special series on the future of business. Learn how you can become the transformational leader who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next breakthrough wave of innovation. The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag I Lead TLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Hi, I'm Linda Sharkey. Welcome back. I'm your host of I Lead, the Leadership Qu- Connection, and with me is Dr. Rob Cook, CEO of Human Synergistics. And we were just talking about why cultural change doesn't work. Often, cultural change efforts don't work. And why is that? And we were talking about the root cause of other cultural surveys. So, Rob, you know, the time has just flown on this and we don't have a, we could do several shows on this. So we probably will. But um, why is it that most, a lot of these efforts don't work? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and limit myself to three reasons, Linda. Okay. And I'm going to call them circum- circumscribed, consistent, and continuous. We were actually 
just talking about focus and people circumscribing what they're paying attention to with cultural change efforts. You know, sometimes when they get into it, they're using instruments or they're using methods where it's like everything's culture. And, you know, they, they end up focusing on things that are important but, you know, are not norms or not values. And, yes, they'll, they'll be able to make some changes, but the changes aren't sustainable. They're not, they're not permanent because they're not truly changing the culture. And I, I, I really feel that's been a, it's been a serious problem in the area. Yeah. Uh, secondly is, is consistency. And, you know, the, what, what happens is a cultural change program will be introduced, but other changes that are going on and taking place in the organization can be inconsistent with the, the, the values of the cultural change program, the norms that are being focused on, et cetera. So, you know, you're trying to create a constructive culture, but then someone um, introduces a very competitive force distribution performance appraisal program that actually breeds competition and yeah. just works against the change program. And then third is continuity, and, and that's simply that... Um, you know, when you do culture change, it's not a project, it's not a program, it's a long-term process, got to keep paying attention to it, coming back to it, um, a year, I, it, it just won't do it. If, if, if you do a cultural change program for a year or two and then move on to something else and, and set the cultural change program aside, there will be no long-term change. Worse yeah. yet. I've, I've, I've experienced that uh, absolutely firsthand. And, uh, you know, that's what I call having a consistent operating rhythm around it so that it's something you pay attention to. Rob, I'm going to jump in because we had a, 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 a question come in that I think is really relevant and we don't have a lot of time left on the show. So um, somebody from London uh, just emailed us and said, what's best in a cultural, what's the best way to start a cultural transformation? Well, I, I, I like organizations to look at their mission and their purpose and to start thinking about what kind of culture is going to be ideal to enable them to work toward that mission and at the same, at the same time uh, enhance things like cooperation and teamwork engagement, employee well-being, long-term sustainability. And we help organizations do that with the ideal form of our organizational culture inventory. As some of our clients have said, it really gets the conversation started. People can see that they often agree on what the ideal looks like, that the constructive style should be strong. And, And it sets them up to take a good look at what you might call culture gaps, and then identify in, important, effective levers for cultural change. Yeah, that's that's so important, and and uh, you know we could talk about this forever, but we're we're coming to the end. And thank you so much for being on, Rob. I, I, if anybody's interested, it's www.humansynergistics.com. Great organization. Uh, I have. 
obviously used their tools all over the world, and they do create powerful conversations, and they are very insightful uh, for people. So I thank you so much for being on, Rob, and sharing your knowledge and insight. Thank you so much, Linda. As always, great talking with you. Uh, Great talking with you, too. And stay with us next week. Um, We are going to have Alexandra uh, Barton Takeda, uh, who's written a wonderful book that I recommend to everybody, is What You Don't Know About Listening. And uh, I'm leaving for Dubai tomorrow, and uh, I will just be coming back when uh, I do the interview with with Alexandra. And Alexandra has uh, Alexandra has a wealth of knowledge and information. She's interviewed over 1,500 leaders uh, around the subject of listening, and she has some excellent, practical, immediately applicable advice to give. Um, to individuals on how they can really build a a listening culture. And listening is so critical to being a constructive leader. And we never really perfect that skill. Um, So I think you'll you'll find a lot from, from that show. Following that show, we also are going to have Marshall Goldsmith, um, April 2nd, and he's going to be talking about coaching, um, he's got a new book coming out called Triggers, uh, which is just a fascinating book about behavioral change. And it kind of builds off of some of the things that Rob were, was, was talking about. You have to have consistency. It cannot be a flavor du jour. You have to pay attention to the specific behavior that you're trying to work on, you're trying to change. You've got to understand what the triggers are that um, cause you to exhibit the behavior that you don't want or the behavior that's totally dysfunctional. So I'm excited about these upcoming two shows. Uh, I'm excited about um, the, the talent management boot camp that I'm going to be doing in the keynote speak on speech uh, in, in Dubai. And if you're interested in our Transglobal Leader um, workshop, we do numerous workshops. As I said, we have a simulation our survey has been extremely powerful, and people use it to help figure out uh, which leaders will be best in a global setting, and also as a basis for coaching to help leaders as they move into global settings um, be more effective and have a personal action plan so that they really can be the most effective leaders in, in a global environment. I think that the simulation gives the leaders an opportunity to practice these dimensions in a safe environment with other peers and colleagues who are going to be facing and are facing the same challenges as as they are and either leading a global team from their home country and or being transferred from where they are today to another country. We've also used it with spouses because oftentimes people forget that uh, you know whoever the these the partner is who's taking the global job, there's a family connected to. And partners need to think about how they can leverage these dimensions so that they can be successful. I had one sales leader who was moving to uh, Europe, actually didn't end up doing it. Because after we talked with the wife, the wife who never lived in another town, uh, never wanted to move out of the town in which she lived, instead of buying a new house uh, or moving to a bigger home, 
They bought the lot, lot next door, knocked the house down, and added on to their own home so that they could stay in the, in the homogeneous in, environment. This kind of situation is not that the person was good or bad. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with how they preferred uh, and how they thought about the world and how they preferred to live. And um, so when the husband realized that, he now is has a great global job, but he's doing it from where he is uh, in, in his home country. And by the way, has been highly successful around it. So join me next week. Uh, go to my website if you want to learn more about Trans Global Leader, www.lindasharkey.com. I look forward to hearing from you, and I look forward to speaking with you next week. Thanks for being with me. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week.